Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. To all the dads out there, happy Father's Day to you. Ernie and I are both fathers, and we're looking forward to a wonderful Father's Day. We're actually recording this on Saturday because we have plans on Father's Day tomorrow. But Ernie, we're going to get started. Lots to talk about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know the painful stuff is the most pressing stuff that we're going to get to. But also, you know, it's U.S. Open weekend in golf with all the controversy between the PGA and Liv. Has the U.S. Open so far lived up to expectations as we head into uh, round four? We're going to get into an NBA mock draft as the finals comes to a close. We're going to look forward to the draft, which happens next week already. We're not going to do the whole first round like we did in football because so much can happen in basketball. But we're going to tell you who we think is going to be picked in the lottery. But Ernie, first, have you recovered (laughs) from Thursday night's Golden State victory as Golden State wins the finals four games to two. And and the last time we spoke, it was two to two. You had said game five is going to mean everything. Uh, if, if Golden State wins game five, you expected Golden State to win in seven. If Boston won game five, you thought they would win in six. Well, Golden State prevailed in game five. Give me your thoughts about how these last two games went. Well, you know, it, it, obviously it was very disappointing. I, I actually uh, put myself through basketball exile after after game five. Like you said earlier, it was my thought. The, my thought process was if they did not take that game, that uh, it would be very difficult for them to win the championship. So I, I cut myself off from from YouTube. I didn't listen to any media after that game. Just so when the time came... Uh, for the Warriors to, you know, get their fourth title, I, I, I wouldn't be in s- such a bad place <laughs> with, with, you know, no harmful kitchen appliances at my disposal where I could actually hurt myself. Well, you know what? I think, I think when you look from a totality, from a global standpoint, I think Boston losing in the finals in game six, you would have taken that in a heartbeat at the beginning oh, yes. of the season. So I think, um, as disappointing as the ending is, I think the overall season from the Boston Celtics has to be considered a tremendous uh, success, although the ending was a little bit disappointing. So what I want to do with the finals is we know who won. We know that Curry won the MVP. Is I kind of want to analyze it from both teams' perspective. Right. So let, let's start with your Celtics. Mm-hmm. What do you think went wrong for them, especially the last three games? Yeah. Oh, well, for, for the Boston Celtics, they're a bigger team. They're a younger team with fresher legs that sh- there was, there is no reason why they should get out rebounded. There is no reason why they should get out rebounded from the offense, uh, allowing offensive rebounds for the Golden State Warriors. Yet that's what happened. I mean, the, I believe the Warriors got in their head and, you know, give all the credit to Draymond Green. Give all the credit to, I, I thought Jordan Poole in game four was probably the most savviest out of, out of them. He took advantage of a, of a half court three point shot that 
probably if he did it 10 times in a row, he'd miss the other nine. But he took that, and then he got two quick fouls. One that was obviously uh, blatant, uh, a flop. But even when he did that, I thought that was so smart of him because he totally frustrated the Boston Celtics. And in that game, in that final quarter, the Boston Celtics, I believe they had uh, four, I can't, I believe it was four or five turnovers and they allowed four or five offensive rebounds. Now that game was important because the Boston Celtics were already up 2-1, leading, going into the fourth quarter or just, or, or, or they were, they were leading. I think Jordan Poole's three point got them up by one, I believe. And then Boston Celtics took the lead. And then Jordan Poole did that, did what he did to frustrate them even more. And they end up losing game four. That's where I thought, okay, this doesn't look good because you can see the veteran savvy ship in regards to, because Boston was doing their thing. The Golden State Warriors were averaging 105 points a game. So the Boston Celtics were doing their, their, their part on the defensive side. They played them, the Golden State Warriors, deep, defensively better than any team in the playoffs. Golden State Warriors just played better defense, and they did that from the using their mind as well as their defensive prowess. Yeah, I mean, th- that that's for sure. I mean, I think this is where you got to really give Steve Kerr credit. Yeah. I mean, the guy has won, I believe, five championships as a player, granted, he was an accessory to Michael Jordan for those titles and Tim Duncan, I believe. Right. Uh, and now he has four as a head coach. He has one as a general manager, I believe, uh, as well. So he's obviously doing something right. And I think he made just really good adjustments on the defensive side. He really forced Tatum and Brown to go left. And it was clear that they didn't want to go left. And they tried, and they tried, and they tried. And it resulted in four, five, six turnovers a game, basically, um, in many of the last three games for both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so credit to, to Steve Kerr for, for doing a fantastic job. Now, I was sharing with Ernie that, for me, I believe the beauty of the Celtic basketball through the playoffs was their ball movement and the use of their bench. Grant Williams had big games at times. Derek White had a, a string of eight, eight out of nine games that he was brilliant after his baby was born. And I thought that they got tight as players, including Tatum, and as a coach, because all he did was lose complete faith. So if Pritchett, uh, Pritchard or White missed their first couple of shots, they were relegated to the bench. And I believe Tatum especially, whether he's hurt or not, we'll never know. And credit to him that he didn't make it an excuse at all if he was hurt. But he was exhausted. And they were forced to continue to play. And the fourth quarters where the Celtics dominated the fourth quarters early on Mm -hmm. in the last three games, you know, they made they actually made runs in the third quarter. It was like a reverse. Um, But I was watching thinking if they're going to continue to play these guys all game, they're going to run out of gas eventually. And I think that's happened. So I was surprised because I think Boston's success was always that ball movement, the depth, the using a lot of people. Uh, and I thought they got tight. I thought the stars got tight. 
Not so much Jalen Brown, but I think Tatum did get tight and frustrated. But I think Emi did as well. And I think he went too close to the vest. And he was like, if we're going down, we're going down with Tatum and Brown playing 44 to 47 minutes. And it didn't work. Um, and I think I, I believe in their bench and I would have liked to see them play a little bit more, but it is what it is. He's a first year coach. Yeah. So to have this kind of success as a first year coach, I understand it. Um, but it's disappointing because I, I think you could be, I, I believe they could have used the bench better. Um, but they went down with their big guns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the bench in, in that, uh, game six, they only scored five points. Uh, it, Granted, like you, we were talking off the air. You don't, you don't, uh, they weren't, uh, in there long enough, uh, at least given the opportunity in, in your eyes. Uh, but in my, in my opinion, if you, if, if you're like a Peyton Pritchard and all you're really in there for, cause he's definitely not in there for his defensive prowess. He's not a bad defender, but the guy's only six foot. So they're gonna, you know, they're gonna exploit him as much as possible. And you miss your shots and, and you struggle to create space. And you struggle to be a playmaker for your other teammates. Uh, you know, you really don't have, I, I'd rather play my starters than, you know, Peyton Pritchard. As far as Derek White, he, you know, he went, he was one for six, you know, in that, uh, in that, in that game. Uh, who knows? That may have been the law of averages because earlier in the seat, in the series, he was playing well. It just mm-hmm. came down, it, it, it came down to a simple fact, in my opinion. Is that uh, turnovers was big in well, all? I mean, the the stat, you know, sixteen turnovers or more. They were one and nine, yeah, I believe, exactly. when all was said and done. Under sixteen, they're like thirteen and two, something along those lines. So once they got to sixteen towards the end of the third quarter, I was like, oh no, yeah, um, that's that seems to be all she wrote. There. Oh yeah, and, and they and, and I think I think they had twelve by halftime, and they. It was, yeah, they had 22 turnovers. Yeah, 22 turnovers. In, in, in that particular game. On top of that, again, I said the, the offensive rebounds. Uh, the Boston Celtics actually had a better shooting percentage overall than the Golden State Warriors in that game. The Golden State Warriors just took more shots than them because they def- definitely didn't do it at the line because the Boston Celtics lived on the line and the Golden State Warriors, I believe they only had like four three throws or something like that or... Some something of that. Well, no, by the end, they 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 were eight for eight. eight, for eight. Yeah. So they, they, and, and even in game five in Golden State, Boston had like 31, 32 free throws, and I believe Golden State only had like twelve. And and a lot of that came down the stretch because they were starting to foul. Exactly because they just had so many offensive rebounds in in, in game six. It was eighty shots to. They had twelve more shots. They had 12 more shots than the Boston Celtics. And the yeah. Boston, the Boston Celtics have more length uh, that it just couldn't yeah. happen. It just couldn't happen. But you know what? No sour grapes. I'm going to give credit to, to Steph Curry. He deserved it. I love the emotion that he showed at the end. I also love the class that Draymond Green showed at the end. He acknowledged the Boston Celtics fans and he said he loved it. And you saw all the Celtics players, if there was any common ground, ground in regards to who they thanked after the series, all of them went to Draymond. Yeah, all I mean, of them went to Draymond. Draymond is an instigator, but Draymond has a very high intellect, especially a basketball IQ. So he knows what he's doing. But even he stopped being the antagonist because then that 
philosophy he had early on backfired. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was playing terrible. When he started to focus more on basketball, he played much better. And that's the last point that I want to make in regards to the Celtics. I shared this with Ernie uh, off the air, but I thought that the Boston players tried to be antagonists to some extent, especially Smart and Williams in the short time that he was there. But they turned into a European men's soccer team when they were flopping. They were trying to over-exaggerate every touch. They were grumbling about every Everything. single play. Everything. Mentally, I think they almost took themselves out of their out of their game rather than having an impact on Golden State. Exactly. So I didn't like I didn't like that. I I, I think Boston is talented enough and good enough. To just beat them. Right. But it could not have to resort but, to shenanigans to try to get a leg up. But it, it, it comes from the top. And that top is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum throughout the course of the entire season, it's well documented that he complains to the refs on touchy fouls. Now, this is the playoffs. You're not going to get those touchy fouls. Yeah. You're, you're just not. So with him completing, Grant Williams was the second biggest complainer, you know, and he, he got thrown out of the game. Marcus Smart, I believe, got fouled on a number of occasions, but because he flopped so much, the refs thought he was flopping and, on the and, and because he was trying to bait everyone. Exactly. So, so he got two quick fouls on Golden State early, and they came right back to him on like back-to-back plays. Um, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Exactly, in, in Boy, that regard. Yep, that's 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 crying wolf. There's a there's a fable on that, and he he cried wolf too many times. Well, you know what? I, again, they're a relatively young team. They have some veterans like the Horfords right. and the Smarts, but for the most part, they're a relatively young team. But before we get to to focus on Golden State a little bit, and, and in regards to their place in history. What does Boston need to do this offseason in your estimation? Or is it just a matter of bring everyone back, everyone gets a little bit better, everyone gets a little bit mature, or do you think they're missing something or need to make a move in order to get back? They need to make a move because even though they're good, you went to a Game 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks without their second-best player. That could have been turned around. You went up against um, a Miami Heat team who had basically everybody, but they were all hurt and they're probably going to do something. You, you, the Nets, even though they swept them, was all single digit victories. Yeah. And, and that was without Joe Harris and Ben Simmons mm-hmm. and whatnot. They're going to, ha- if they don't do anything, they may be the fourth best team in the East. So they definitely need, they need more shooting. Okay, I believe that Marcus Smart needs to develop more as a point guard, more as a playmaker, a facilitator who can. And like we were talking off the air, this is Marcus Smart's first year at the point guard. And he improved. The guy uh, averaged two and a half more assists per game. His assist to turnover ratio was over two. So and that's amongst the I think that's top 10 in the league as far as that is concerned. So if he takes even an incremental leap, I don't think he's going to like have the same uh, jump as he did being a shooting guard. But if he takes an incremental leap and maybe plays next year less as a flopper, so maybe he gets, you know, those marginal calls called 
during the playoffs when it really counts, they got a shot because Jason Tatum is will be he's not even at his prime. Jalen Brown not even at his prime. Robert Williams was at best seventy percent. Yeah, and he was dominant in this series in in his own way, yeah. not offensively but dominating defensively. A huge presence in the lane. Uh, whether he was blocking shots or altering shots, you knew when he was in the game because as soon as he wasn't, they take it to the hole or try to. Yeah, get get instant offense because you have no first round pick. You're gonna have to you have you're gonna have to do a trade. They got a mid level exception at their availability at uh, at their exposure. They also have a, a trade trader player exception from the Gordon Hayward uh, departure that's worth about nineteen million dollars. But they're gonna have to pay into the luxury tax. So. You know, you know, Dennis Schroeder's available, I think. I think you can <laughs> sign him back for relatively cheap. You know, I like Dennis Schroeder, but he definitely wouldn't have made this team better. No. And see, and, and this is where I believe Marcus Smart did improve as a point guard, but I think his temperament is not the cool head. He's so emotional he is. that it's very difficult when the when the game goes down the stretch. I think they need a calming figure to take the ball and the pressure away from Tatum and Brown and let them play off the ball instead of trying to create everything. Exactly. I don't know who that person is. That's the hard part. But like a, like a Chris Paul type that dominates the ball down the stretch, a Kyle Lowry type, although he's old and fragile already. Yeah. But somebody like a, like a Rajon Rondo from four or five years ago would have been perfect on this team. I think that's kind of what they need because right now they're expecting Tatum and Brown to do more than what Tatum and Brown can do. There's only one forward facilitator that I can really think of in recent memory, and that's LeBron, where in the game is on the line, down the stretch, in his prime, LeBron would be able to get it done. Everything else is really reliant, because even Giannis, they want to give him the ball at times down the stretch, but if we remember correctly last year, it was Chris Middleton that had the ball in his hands the last five minutes of the game every single time because he made better decisions. He was more sure with the ball. And uh, if the Celtics can get somebody like that, I think that would go a long way towards helping them. But congratulations, Ernie. I mean, considering where my Lakers were this year, <laughs> to, to take the Golden State Warriors to six games uh, to come up a couple of games short is is. Quite remarkable, yeah. considering where they were on January. Exactly, you got you, you got to look big picture. I'm obviously disappointed, and you know what? Like I said, Game Four, they were I would say ten minutes away from winning this series. It was that close. Just yeah. it wasn't their time. Okay, so I wanted to spend a lot of time on the Celtics because you all know that the Celtics are Ernie's passion when it comes to the NBA. Um, so I wanted to really dive in and analyze from the Celtics perspective, but from the Golden State perspective, mm -hmm. this is what I, I marvel at what they've done. And I, and I, you know, I'm not a huge Golden State fan by any stretch of the imagination. They cost LeBron two more championships because they were so dominant that the, they had no chance. But if you think about the last eight years, and what they've done and what they could have done, it's remarkable. They won a title in 2015. They're up 3-1 on the Cavs in 2016. Draymond does something stupid, gets himself suspended for game five. Or else it would have ended there. To me, it would have ended right there. But he didn't play. 
and Cleveland won. They go home, win a game six, and Kyrie hits that buzzer beater to win the title. So they lose that. Then they add Durant and they dominate for two years. And then they lose in the third year because Durant gets, tears his Achilles, Clay tears his ACL. Um, and so Toronto wins. Then they were a mess for two years because Clay has missed two years. You know, KD left. Uh, Steph missed one year. Um, they were a mess. They had the worst record in the NBA two mm-hmm. years ago. And then they come back and they win a title. So they won before KD. They won with KD. And now they've won after KD. So you can tell by the emotion that Steph Curry was showing that I think this one is the most special and the most impressive to me in the last eight years for Golden State. It could it could be. I mean, uh, from the big three standpoint for Golden State, I mean, they're no lock next year. I mean, their core is aged. Uh, they do have some young, promising players. Uh, and talk all you want in regards to the bank is never empty in regards to the Golden State's uh, salary cap number. Uh, there's gonna there's gonna be a limit, you know, on regards to what they want. I mean, they got a number of players that are gonna be coming up. I mean, they got Jordan Poole to pay, they got Andrew Wiggins to pay, they got Kevon Looney to pay. Uh, you know, if if they, you know, Gary Payton the second to pay, they got a number of players that they want to pay that they're gonna have to pay. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be different. If they if they're faithful to their core, and they should be. I mean, that core got them four championships. That core got them uh what is this? Six, seven uh, uh you know, finals. Six finals in eight years. Yeah, in that much they they sh- they deserve to be to to at least to go into the sunset together. But, you know, you never know. You never know. This yeah. might this might be their last hurrah. Yeah, you never know. But when you go back to 2015, when they won their first one, you're talking about seven, eight years ago. So Curry was 26, 27. Right. Clay was 26. They're a little about a year or two older than your Tatum and Brown is right now. Right. When they started this, and so was Draymond. And then when they added KD, it was just not fair. I right. mean, you're talking about three for sure but probably four Hall of Famers on that team. Mm -hmm. But that's what I think makes this one so special. Yes, you still have Draymond, but he's older now. He's not the same. Yes, you still have Clay. I think we can all agree Clay is not the same Clay yet. Maybe after a full offseason and coming back, the guy had two catastrophic injuries. Now, mentally, you can see how strong he is because the guy kept shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting irregardless of if he was hitting or not. So Clay is not as good, and Steph is 34. And so the ability to win this title at that age is just remarkable. I think they're they're definitely a dynasty, um, and I think they're comparable to the Spurs. I think the Spurs did win five, but it was over a longer period of time. So I think this is probably actually a little bit more impressive. I'm impressed, more impressed with what Golden State has done. Yeah, because Golden State easily could have six. If if they didn't get hurt against the Raptors, they would have annihilated them. And then again, we talked about the year they went 73 and nine. That's the year that the Cavs beat them. That's their best record-wise team that they had. Um, they could have easily won six. And if they had done that, then you're talking about 
Lakers and, and Jordan's Bulls in regard to six titles in eight years, which is what the Jordan's Bulls did. Mm-hmm. So the transition now is going to be so interesting. Like, do they run it back? Um, they could, they could run it back because they may feel like, Hey, you know what? We won. We owe it to, to them. Let's try this one more year. Let's have one more year to develop Wiseman, who's now going to be entering his third year, but basically hasn't played yet. Right. You know, he reminds me of Embiid, who really missed his first two years before he started playing. You have Kuminga and Moody, two top 10 picks from last year, um, that look like they're ready. Jordan Poole looks like he's ready. Um, Something has to give. Something's you know, either you're going to want these guys to play and you want to free up a roster spot for them because you can't keep everyone. Now, the thing about Golden State that is different to me than even my Lakers um, or the Miami Heat when they went out and they brought all kind of people to form super teams. Golden State's payroll is out of sight. I mean, it's $340 million this year with luxury taxes. But the thing about them is... They're paying their own players that they drafted and they developed. Curry, Clay, Draymond. Wiggins is the only one that came from outside, but they dumped a salary to get him. And really, the whole league could have had Wiggins and no one really took him. Mm -hmm. And they were able to get Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. So it's not like they... The only time, and I think it skews people, is when they went out and they got KD. I think that's where everybody felt that Golden State was just not being fair. But this current team is all homegrown people, including all these young kids. They drafted Poole, Kaminga, Wiseman, Moody, um, and then they brought on, you know, GP2. After 10 other teams cut him, mm-hmm. you know, and then he became a key contributor with his defense down the stretch. So I give Golden State a tremendous amount of credit. I do believe it starts with Steph Curry. He is the most humble superstar I think there is in the NBA for sure. Uh, Tom Brady's a pretty humble superstar in terms of sacrificing you for the better of the team. I think Curry is willing to do that. He'll take a second seat if necessary. He encourages people. He builds people up. As much as I love LeBron, as much as I love the Lakers, LeBron is a young teammate killer. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, LeBron leaves a legacy of trading away all young players because he only wants to deal with veterans. When Curry is like, builds up Poole, you know, for three years to get Poole to where he is, he's building up Kaminga. He's building up Moody. He's willing to do that for younger players. And that to me is his most admirable trait a phenomenal basketball player but his most admirable trait yeah but then give it all props to the gm over there yep. I mean, he, bob he, myers has done an unbelievable it's, job it, it's him and it's ownership i mean to spend 340 million dollars really on a team that was i swear in the two years that they were they were they were in the in the dumps i don't even think they won 50 i'm not sure if they won 50 games maybe not and to, well, I think one year they only won like 16. Yeah. And last so, year, I think they got into the play in game. So they must have been somewhere around 30, so maybe 50, 60 games in the okay, last at, at the most. And to have that payroll. Yeah. I mean, so to, you know, so that's, that's where you, you need the commitment, not only from your ownership, you need a general manager who the ownership trusts in order to, to do stuff like this. And the players that it's going to execute for you. Yep. That's for sure. I mean, this is where they benefit. I mean, let's be honest. They, they built a chase center in the heart of San Francisco 
coming off of all of their championships the first time around. Right. So they pre-sold all these season tickets and they have a Silicon Valley constituency that they cater to. I think the the seats in the boonies are four or $500. That's why they can generate so much in-game revenue that they can afford to pay the luxury tax. And I don't think they're going to flinch. You know, I would not surprise me if they paid Wiggins, if they paid Poole, and next year their 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 salary half a billion luxury tax they're is probably going to be four five hundred million dollars. Yes, because for for every ten, I believe they're in the five times range. Meaning, you you know, for every ten million dollars, you got to pay fifty. Yeah, so I think they go all in for one more year, and by then Draymond may come off the books, Clay may come off the books, right? And then you have the younger guys that you'll surround Curry with. Um, we're looking at four or five hundred million, Ernie, for for the Warriors <laughs> next year. But again, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. It's a tremendous success. Um, you win before KD, with KD, after KD. It's it's a remarkable accomplishment, um, and I give them props. Yeah, except for KD. KD is probably like shaking his head right now. Why did I leave? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's shift gears. That was a lot longer than I expected, but hey, it's the NBA Finals. So let's go ahead and get into the mock draft. So again, this is what we're going to do. We're going to just go through who we think is going to, what we think is going to happen in regards to the mock draft. So what we have right now is we have uh, the Orlando Magic with the first pick. I think the consensus out there, Ernie, is that Jabari Smith from Auburn, the freshman from Auburn, is going to be the first pick. Is that what you think? I would think so. I think I, I think it's been going back and forth in regards to him and Chet Holmgren. Uh, I really think that even though Holmgren has the higher upside between the two, I think Jabari Smith uh, is the more ready now player. I don't know if, or, uh, if the Orlando Magic is willing to wait you know, the, those one or two years. Right now, Chet can basically, uh, defense is really what's going to make his, uh, money in the next year and maybe the, even the year after that, uh, where Jabari Smith is probably, if not the best shooter, one of the best shooters in the draft at 6'9, 6'10. So I think it's going to be Jabari Smith. No, I, I think that's the consensus. I do think that that is going to happen. I would take Chet Holmgren. And the reason why I would take him goes back to the fact that he and Jalen Suggs have been dominant together every step of the way. Their four years they played high school ball, well, three years they played high school ball together. They won the state championship. They played for the United States. They won the state championships. Jalen Suggs is there. Mm -hmm. And I think if Chet Holmgren would come there, I think you start to build a chemistry uh, and a knack for winning. Right. And what Orlando has lacked for a long time is a winning, competitive mentality. So I, I'm not saying Chet Holmgren is the better player than Jabari Smith. I think right now no one really knows. I think Jabari Smith has the more NBA-ready body and a better shooter. I just think when you're building a team, chemistry has to be a part of it. I would go Chet Holmgren with number one, and I would go Jabari Smith number two to OKC. So are you saying Chet Holmgren, OKC at number two, or are you uh, going in another I'm, direction? I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to go in another direction, and this is the reason being. I believe they have uh, they have the mini Chet Holmgren already uh, at OKC in Pokashevsky. I mean, seven-footer, 
not very big build, good shooter, not as good defensively as Chet Holmgren, but I believe he's a better playmaker at this stage than Chet Holmgren. I don't see them duplicating that process. And I don't even think they're going to go with Banchero. I believe they're going to go, in my opinion, next year, in my opinion, this guy is going to be rookie of the year. I think they take Jaden Ivey. I mean, they could. I think Jaden Ivey is such an athletic person. My only concern is the fit there. They got Josh Giddy last year, uh, and he was great as a top 10 lottery pick. They already have uh, uh, Shige Gilchrist Alexander um, there. So I'm not sure they would go back to the guard. But Jaden Ivey, it could, could very well be the rookie of the year because yeah. he has such a strong, explosive offensive game. So, so Ernie's got, uh, Jabari Smith one to, o to, uh, Orlando and he's going Jaden Ivey two to OKC. At number three, who do you have? I like Chet, I like Chet Holmgren at, at, uh, Houston. I believe it takes all the pressure off of him as far as the offensive prowess. He can concentrate on defense. He just has to make plays for uh, Jalen Green. I believe they're uh, they're looking at this. I think there's looking there 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 are some rumblings out there that the Thunder may trade out of the second round, and I believe those rumblings may be stemming from the Houston Rockets trading up to get Chet Holmgren. But if they stay where they are, and if it everything falls right, and the Thunder take Jalen Ivy, they might just come right down to their laps. Well, the Rockets this week made a trade. They trade Christian Wood. Exa exactly. You know, and they get the 26th pick in the first round from the Dallas Mavericks, as well as four guys that are on expiring contracts that chances are they're going to let all, all four of these guys go. Okay, so you've got you've got Chet there, um, which could very well. I mean, he's a defensive mind there. I already have Chet gone, so I go Paulo bon uh, Bonchero there. To Houston, I believe he provides that offense inside. Jalen Green will be the offense outside. And I think that's a good uh, starting point. And then at four for Sacramento, that's where um, I would, I think the consensus is that's where Jaden Ivey is going to go. He doesn't want to go there. <laughs> he doesn't want to go there. And I think there's too much duplication there as well. You know, with Davion Mitchell, um, and the point guard that they have there. I actually have them going Keegan Murray. Wow. Um, I think he fits better. You have the, the point guard that's a Speedy Gonzalez. You have Davion Mitchell that's a solid defender. You have, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. What is the Gonzaga center that got traded there from Indiana? Gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Oh my goodness. We're both drawing a His blank. His father played in the NBA. Yeah, okay, so... <laughs> Sabonis. Sabonis. So you have Sabonis there in the middle. I think Keegan Murray would fit perfectly. He would provide that offense, uh, and he can shoot outside, inside, tremendous offensive player. I think he'd be a great fit for them at either the three or the four, uh, with Sacramento. Yeah. I, uh, for Sacramento, because, uh, you know, I didn't have Bonchero in the top three. He's to me the easiest guy. I think he flourishes. I, like a Keegan Murray, but better offensive, yeah. better inside presence. I think that's a steal for the Sacramento yeah, Kings. I would agree. And if, that, if it falls that way, Sacramento should be thrilled that Banchero is there. Exactly. Okay, so at number five, that's where we have the Detroit Pistons. Um, that's where I think most people have Keegan Murray going. I already have him gone. 
This is where I have Jaden Ivy going. Mm. You have him gone at number two. I still have him available. I think you have Jaden Ivy and Cade Cunningham. That is a tremendous backcourt to build with going forward for the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, that would be that would be great. I don't know if they give up on their Frenchmen that they drafted two years ago. Uh, I believe I I think the consensus is where. This is where Keegan Murray lands. I think he flourishes in, in that Detroit system. A lot of good young players in his type of mold. So, uh, well, a lot of rumblings that Jeremy Grant's going to be traded this offseason. So if he does, be. then that really makes sense and he'd slot nicely right in his it, spot. It, it could be. I mean, you got, you got Isaac Stewart over there from two years ago. Again, I mean, I'll, I'll, to me, a lot of good, a lot of good players. I, I think they got to get rid of, uh, your other Gonzaga guy, Kelly Olenek. You know, I think he, j- just for the salary cap purposes, but I think Keegan Murray, you, what you see is basically what you're going to get. I don't think the, the floor is high for this guy. The potential is there, you know, but not out of this reach potential. But I believe he, like I said, you get what you see. And I think he fits great with the Detroit Pistons. Okay. Guy. So at number six, I think Indiana is very interesting because there's so much rumblings that they may continue to purge their team. And I think whatever philosophy they've developed in-house is going to determine where they go with this pick. So on ESPN.com, they have Benedict Mathuri and the Pac-12 Player of the Year from Arizona going there. But that only makes sense to me if they are going to unload people. So right now in their backcourt, they have Malcolm Brogdon. They have Tyrese Halliburton that they brought from Sacramento last year. They have their lottery pick from last year, Chris Duarte, that did pretty well. Mm -hmm. They have Buddy Heald that's there. Um, And then they've been talking about trading Miles Turner for such a long time. So with that in mind, I'm assuming that they're going to keep at least three of the four guards. I think... Turner is going to go, and I think Indiana Pacers replace him with Jalen Duran from Memphis. Wow. He better do a, a lot of scoring <laughs> because he is a good defensive presence. Uh, I heard he's a good lob threat. Yeah. Tremendous athleticism. Again, if they're looking at him somewhere like a Rob Williams type, I mean, Rob Williams was the same thing. He was like, he's like 6'9 with like a 38 inch mm-hmm. vertical, very athletic, big. Uh, See, when I saw him play in high school, he reminded me of Chris Weber mm. because of his long arms, his huge hands. He played similarly. He's not as good as Chris Weber, but he played similarly. And the thing about Duran that I like is that he actually reclassified last year or else he would only be a freshman in college this year. Mm-hmm. So he's really young. And let's be honest, Indiana looks like they're in a full rebuild. So I think you get rid of Turner, yeah. bring in a Jalen Duran, and you build with him and Halliburton and Duarte going forward. So maybe a little bit earlier than most people expect, but I like him in that spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go against the grain on top of here. <laughs> and this is because I believe this is a... Uh, this is going to be the shot in the dark that I think Indiana is going to have to take just because of his, uh, his pre NCAA type buildup. And I believe the guy with the most potential here, and this guy had more pub, uh, coming out, or at least as much pub as Jaden Ivey at one time, uh, coming into, into colleges 
is Shaden Sharp. Now, we don't know anything about Shaden Sharp because he, he got injured. But boy, you watch this guy's film. This guy is, this guy is, this guy is John Morant, Jalen Green. Uh, he needs to work on his outside shot. This guy is incredible. He, the, if this guy is healthy and they can develop, he could be, you know, a steal here at number seven. Yeah, he could be. I, I, and I like him, but I just get scared that we haven't seen him since high school. Granted, he was hurt. He practiced with the Kentucky Wildcats, never suited up for them. Um, but again, we're talking about them rebuilding. Right. If they want to take take a shot with, with him, I would get it. You know, same with Portland. I think Portland's in that same mold. They traded everybody but Damian Lillard. Mm -hmm. He may be, you know, traded in, in the offseason. Uh, I think Dyson Daniels is what a lot of people are predicting in this spot. And that's where I would go. I think the point guard shooting guard provides depth in the event that, uh, Damon, Damian Lillard does stay. I think if Damian Lillard goes, then Anthony, um, Simon. Simons and Dyson Dan Daniels would be a nice young backcourt to build with. That could be shade and sharp as well. I think they're very similar. Mm -hmm. I think you know a little bit more right now about Dyson Daniels. Then you do it with Shade and Sharp. But then with Shade and Sharp, you're taking a little bit more of a, of risk. a risk. Yeah, there's a because risk. Because you know a little bit less. Um, but risks pay off sometimes. Yeah. You, you never you never know. Who do you have the Trailblazers going? I go with the one of the best shooters in regards to the NBA. I think they gotta look at the look look on replacing what McCollum left as a void. Uh the next best shooter uh besides uh Smith from Auburn. I'm going to go with AJ Griffin. Okay. I believe, you know, he is a, a, a big guy who's a perimeter threat. Uh, you know, and I believe, you know, that, uh, I guess the comparisons really aren't towards, uh, how come I can't remember his name? Uh, the Toronto rookie of the year. The one from, from Florida from, State. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, this is what happens when you, when you're over 50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all, everybody, uh, on the podcast are, is probably yelling his name right now, but you know who we're talking about that. Uh, but he had the Toronto guy has better offense. I believe AJ Griffith has a little bit better defense, but they're in the same mold. Tall. Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes. you're talking about. Exactly. And well, Scotty Barnes actually surprised with his offense because he came into the league raw offensively, a lockdown defender, and he did much better than, than expected. So at number eight, we have the Pelicans. That's where I have Shaden Sharpie going. Shaden Sharp going there because I believe you can take more risks there because you have Brandon Ingram already. You have CJ McCollum. You have Zion coming back. You can bring Sharp along a little bit slower there and not necessarily need him to, to do anything. So I like Sharp in New Orleans with the Pelicans at eight. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Dyson Daniels over there. Uh, they need a shooting guard over there. Again, the, you know, the loss of, not that Lonzo Ball was a shooting guard. He was more of a point guard over there, but I, I believe he can fit their system and flourish. Okay, so let's go to number nine. This is the San Antonio Spurs. This is where I've seen a lot of people projecting Jalen Duran to go uh, here at number nine. I already have him gone, and I have them taking Benedict Mathurian here. I think this he has Spurs 
written all over him. I, I mean, I believe he just fits the mold. Uh, tremendous offense, tremendous defense, you know, tremendous character, competitive. I, I think he just has Popovich written all over him. This is where I have Benedict Mathurian going. See, and, that, and, and uh, I, I, under the same uh, theory, looked at Jalen Durham over here at for the San Antonio Spurs. I, I, I think because he's so one-dimensional as far as his skill set is concerned, I like the, the Popovich system in regards to how he's, uh, used big men, you know, and how he's, uh, really gotten not, not that, uh, they're, uh, very athletic and, 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 uh, Durham is, but I believe he can flourish under the Popovich system if he knows how to play smart. I think he can really prosper there. Could be. I mean, he has the athletic ability. So the Washington Wizards are, are picking 10. And I don't know exactly which direction that they're going to go. Um, Bradley Beal is a, is a free agent. Um, you know, he could be traded in a sign and trade. They've got Kuzma. They've got KCP. They don't have a true point guard, in my opinion. And that's where I have them taking Johnny Davis, the point guard from the University of Wisconsin. Taco Bell, man. Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell, man. I mean, I have him going there because they invested in Corey Kispert last year. Right. He's more of a shooting guard. They have Rui there as a backup. They seem to have depth at the shooting guard and the forward positions, but nothing at the point. If there was a solid center, maybe they go there. I like Johnny Davis at 10. I, I like I like them going on their defensive trend. I think when they brought in, uh, they brought in Kuzma, uh, and they, they let go Montrez Harrell, who was, uh, actually a defensive liability. And now a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> why, why, why have that many in your car? I mean, keep it limited, folks. But anyways, I believe they go defense over here. Uh, I believe they go with, uh, Baylor forward, Jeremy so uh, Sochan. See. And that could be, I mean, but again, like, like for me, I thought it was a, that's a little bit too much duplication, but I like Jeremy Solchan and I have him going with the next pick. I have him going to the New York Knicks. Mm. I believe the Knicks have, they have some solid pieces in offensively, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle. They have, um, your ex Celtic. Fournier. Yeah. You know, as, as shooters, but they don't have that defensive dog. And they have a coach that's all about defense. Yeah, so I right. think, I think Jeremy Solchan fits perfectly there. His athleticism can guard one through four, um, and a pest. And he seems to have a little bit of that Draymond Green instigator in him, as we saw in the NCAA tournament this year against North Carolina. Yeah, it, it, it could be. It could be. I, I actually have the Knicks taking, uh, Taco Bell over here. So Johnny Davis. Shooting forward out of his, uh, you know, out of Wisconsin, uh, really, uh, dropped a little. I think, uh, the beginning of the year, he was more prosperous, but I think a very talented player, you know, leading that Badger team, uh, in, in the Big Ten, uh, too talented to actually drop this far, in my opinion, but, you know, I, I think this is a value pick for, for, for the Knicks. So I believe he lands there at number 10. Okay, so at number 13, OKC picks again. And this is where I have A.J. Griffin going. You had A.J. Griffin going a, a lot earlier, as many progress, uh, you know, prognosticators do. But as someone who is a Duke supporter, 
I was just not impressed with A.J. Griffin. I mean, he can shoot, but he was exposed to me when his shot's not falling. He's not a good defender. Mm. He's not a good creator. He's really a spot-up shooter. So I think with OKC, he'd fit nicely there. I think they've had two picks already. So I have them taking Jabari Smith. So a combination of Jabari Smith, who's also a great defender, and A.J. Griffin really upgrades their their shooting. And I'll I'll go with... uh... I believe they need, uh, you know, they need height in the middle. I believe that, uh, that was their weakness as far as Charlotte. They, they, they so have. We're still at OKC here. Oh, we're, I'm sorry. OKC. <coughs> okay. So for, so for OKC, I can, I'm going to have them taking Ochai Obaji. From the from 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 the Arizona champion, from Arizona Jayhawks. Right. All right. right. So we've got two more picks. We've got the Charlotte Hornets and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So for the most part, we're not agreeing that much, mm-hmm. but we've got basically the same players in slightly different, different orders. orders. Yeah. So the Charlotte Hornets, I have a strong inkling that we're going to agree here. Are Who you, do you have? I I already mentioned that I think it's going to be Mark Williams. I agree. Because they need a center. Yeah, well, you know, Montrose Harold now is probably going to be in trouble. They have, you know, one of the Plumlee brothers that are still there. I think they need a rim protector. They have LaMelo. They have Rogier. They have Bridges. Exactly. They have Hayward. Exactly. They have enough offense. They need a defensive stopper, somebody that can clog the lane. I actually think Mark Williams and Charlotte is the most obvious fit of anyone so far. Not that he's the best player, but I think player to fit, perfect spot for Mark Williams. Exactly. I mean, uh, uh, outside of the top 10, I think this is the most surest thing I see after outside of the top 10. I believe, like you said, uh, very good vibes for both Mark and the Charlotte Hornets and on, on them, uh, you know, having this matrimony. And so for the, Cleveland the last, Cavaliers? last lottery pick. Who do you got? I, for me, that's where I have Abaji going. I still have him on there. I think they're going to look to trade Colin Sexton. I agree. injured most of this year. I agree. So I think Abaji is, is a nice fit in that backcourt. Um, when you get rid of Sexton. So I, I think they go Abaji there, a great defensive player, can hit a shot, athletic. I, I, that's where I have. You have him already going, so who do you have? I have. Taking? You know what? I believe, I agree with you in regards to them letting uh, letting Sexton go. They, they, you know what? I believe they replace him uh, with Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky. Uh, they, they, just, they just need someone to explode. Two years ago, uh, they, 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 basically the two, there are two guards that they picked. Who's the guy from Vanderbilt? Darius Garland, who's Darius, an all-star this year. Right. So he got hurt the year before. This year, Sexton gets hurt. So they've never really had two of those, you know, point together. guards together. I believe that that's something they feel that they can flourish. They pick quality point guards. Uh, in the past, and you know, I believe they continued that tre- trend, and they take Ty Ty Washington. And it could be. I mean, even if they kept Sexton, that would be great depth. It's a three-man rotation. All three are point of guards, right. slash and, shooting yeah. guards, so it gives them a lot of flexibility in the position as NBA. Exactly, because they and they don't have Rubio anymore, so you know. So we normally like to like in football the first pick of the Lakers and the Celtics, just like we talk about with the Rams. That's what we want to jump to right now. 
Unfortunately for me, the Lakers have no picks at all in this draft. But the Celtics do have a pick in the second round. And with 53. that pick at 53, Ernie, who is the game changer that's going to be the difference for them next year? Oh, my gosh. I think the game changer is actually going to come via free agency. But I think there's good development over here. I think they they look they got to look. Uh, there's a couple of prospects I, 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 I like for them. They definitely needed shooting. I, uh, Aaron Neesmith, who they got out of Vanderbilt, uh, two years ago did not, uh, come to fruition. The guy ha- is, is basically a head case. I've heard that he hits everything during practice, that he is the best. If, if you're playing a game of horse, I think you want him on his team. You want to be on his team, but he, when the lights come out, he shuts down. So I believe they go after Wake Forest, uh, shooter, Jake, La Ravia, you know, he's a, he's just that. He's just an outside assassin. So I believe they, they, they get value for him. I'm also intrigued about Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Uh, a lot, not- a lot of talk that he's going to be picked in the twenties. Really? Um, a lot of talk. I, I think if you go to the ESPN mock draft here, let me call that up real quick again. I think I think they have him going in the twenties. Well, if that's the case, then he'd be a steal for the Boston Celtics. I just like his wingspan. He just fits that wing position very well. He's six five, uh, you know, seven two wingspan and athletic. So, boy, yeah, they have him going number eighteen to the Chicago Bulls. Oh, you're cra- you're crazy. Okay, you know what? Scratch, <laughs> scratch, scratch him from that. That's too many picks. Between 18 and 53, <laughs> I'll settle for Jake LaRavia. All right. Okay, so let's transition a little bit. Uh, NBA season is done. The draft comes hard and fast next week. The week after that starts free agency. It's going to be a chaotic next month or so in the NBA, which is so much fun. That's the fun part for me. It's kind of like fantasy basketball in the offseason. But let's talk about the U.S. Open, Ernie. A lot of talk. Because the guys from the Live Tour are there. They played in London last week. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be honest. You play in London one week. You fly back to the States and try to play. None of them are doing extraordinarily well. I think Dustin Johnson at plus two, six shots back, is probably the one that's doing the best. But a pretty stacked... Well, it, it was a stacked leaderboard. People have regressed a little bit. A little bit of a surprise at who's at the top right now with Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick. Fitz and Zalatoris. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and really, the, the news break on top of this is really before the tournament started when, when Tiger Woods decided not to play, uh, you know, in this tournament. And, and that took a lot of revenue, I believe, from the PGA. So that was a, that was a shock. But you know what? A major is a major is a major. And you got, uh, you know, you, you still got some big guns over there. I I really like Rory when he on on his opening round, but uh, you know Zalatoris with the uh, with the low round today of three under. I don't. I'm not really sure that he can keep that up, but he doesn't have to. Like this is his third consecutive major of being near the top going into the fourth day. So I like to tell you the truth. I like John Ram 
Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a, a two-time major winner. He's playing well. He's at three under. I actually like Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he's the hottest golfer on tour. He's sitting right there in a great spot. He'll be with Ram, I believe, uh, in the second to the last group, mm-hmm. putting the pressure on Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris, I think. I think... I think there's a pretty good chance that the winner comes out of one of those that twosome there. It, it, it could be. Uh, I wouldn't rule out Rory too. I mean, Rory has made some late charges like he did last week at the Canadian Open. Mm-hmm. He came from way, well, reasonably far back with a huge fourth round to win. I think he's in contention as well. I think for golf, uh, a win by Rory would probably be the best case scenario because I think he's got the biggest name left. I agree. Um, I think that would be the best case scenario for them. Um, I like Scotty Scheffler tomorrow. He's just proven to be the best golfer in the world right he, now. He, he could be. I mean, that would be my second best pick. He shot one over today. So, you know, uh, he's still got, uh, you know, those negative numbers to, to be played as, as far as the final round concerned. And that's why, that's why I like John Ram. I, I, he shot one over today and he's still at minus three. So I think his best golf is still to be had. I think the winner of this tournament, uh, is going to be at, uh, minus five, no higher than minus six. Yeah. I believe, uh, Zalatoris and Fitzpatrick, although they played well today, they, they dropped back to the pack. Uh, it's going to be your experienced guys, like you said. Uh, Scheffler and Ram, I believe, that are going to be taking. We'll, we'll know by the time this podcast airs on Monday, uh, we'll know the winner. Yeah, we'll definitely have a winner by then. But again, like you said, without Tiger, even an injured Tiger, isn't it incredible the weight that he still carries? That even when he bombed and didn't make the cut or, or dropped out in, in the PGA, mm-hmm. everyone still cares. And without him there... The only real conversation coming into the U.S. Open because Tiger wasn't there was all about how do you feel about the live tour guys? And <laughs> are you going to leave too? And, and et cetera. And I, and the golfers are going to get sick of these questions right. very, very soon. And, but there's just not the same buzz when Tiger's not around. Exactly. I mean, he's just, he's that polarizing force. And, uh, let's, let's face it. He's, he's, he is golf. Yeah, he really is. He is committed to playing in the British Open, though. He just thought that he needed more time after his his uh, his showing and his struggles with his leg uh, at the PGA that mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be ready for the U.S. Open on this particular course. Because let's remember, his leg was almost amputated, and walking these types of oh, hard yeah. courses is really really problematic. So. Flatter courses, things that are easier on the body, I think, is what he's looking for. And I thought he made a smart decision not to participate here. So anything else on the U.S. Open before I get into my closing thought? I'm waiting on you. All right. So our closing thought, I'm going to jump into football. We spent a lot of time on the NBA. We touched on the U.S. Open. But I think more and more and more chatter on Deshaun Watson and what to do with him. I know we've talked about it before. There seems to be a consensus now that most of the owners are so upset with the Cleveland Browns. Mm -hmm. Not that they signed him, but that they guaranteed his contract for four years 100% 100% guarantee, <laughs> knowing that these things are still hanging over his head. Not only is that precedent setting, but I think what really worries the other owners is that it can be a public relations nightmare. nightmare. Yep. It already is. And I, I think it's the fact that he got this contract and some of the rhetoric that comes out of 
not necessarily his mouth. He's very polite in his denials, mm -hmm. but I think his agent came out last week and, and really put his foot in his mouth. And as soon as he did that, then you had a 23rd suit, a 24th suit. And now there's word that there are 66 people that he had reached out for massage relationships. I think at this point in time, the NFL would, it would behoove them to slap a one year suspension right now. Yeah. And if everything goes away, you know, if it goes away and it's some miracle, he has proven that he did not violate the NFL's policy, then you can bring them back. You right. know, let them apply and you can bring them back. But the longer this holds out there, the more frustrated other people are going to get, especially women, especially women. I think at this point, the smoking gun is so smoky. There's so many women here that you have to shut them down to me for one year, one year suspension, let them reapply next year. And the Browns with their guaranteed $46 million that they're going to pay to somebody who is suspended. And maybe the NFL will find a way to take that money and fund some women's charity or women's <laughs> group and have that money go to a better cause. But that's what I would do. At this point in time, four games, six games, eight games is just not enough. There's, this is like a slow, torturous drip. Right. Where as soon as you think you know the information, something else happens. Something else happens. Exactly. Another case. Another case. Um, you shut them down. You suspend them. Right now, there's enough evidence out there to say one-year suspension. Cleveland Browns, you're idiotic for doing what you did. Three number one picks, $240 million guaranteed, and we're going to shut your quarterback down for a year. That's what I would do. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I mean, the word out there is unprecedented suspension. Unprecedented. So we know. <laughs> we've seen some long suspensions out there. We, the, you know, so unprecedented could mean a, a whole entire year. That's not beyond belief. And if it keeps on growing, like what you said, uh, like it's, it, I just have to shake my head. I have to shake my head. Even if he didn't, uh, I mean, it's, there's no way that he didn't. Yeah. It's almost impossible. That, to, there's to too believe. many allegations, too many allegations for this to actually happen. So I really hope I, I, you know what? I, I, I like the guy. He's, he's, he's very likable. He says the right things, but this has, uh, sickness written yeah. all over it. And there's no way, there's no way he can be 100% innocent with 66 potential people out there. Yeah. And 24 civil cases. So, yeah. Cause if there, it's like seeing a cockroach, <laughs> you see one, there's 20 more. Not if you don't see. Yeah, so shut them down, NFL. Take a stand right now. Shut them down. Suspend them for a year. Let them reapply next year. If somehow all of this goes away, then you can reconsider a shortening of the suspension. Let them appeal, and then you can reevaluate if that happens. But for now, put it to bed. Shut him down, and do not let this be a bigger distraction as we get into training camps opening in the next couple of weeks as July comes about. So... That's what I got, Ernie. I got him shutting down. Anything else you want to talk about? I'm good. Gang, we went long today a little bit, a little bit over an hour, but a lot to talk about with the NBA Finals as the Golden State Warriors win their fourth title in the last eight years. Steph Curry 
is now uh, a finals MVP, something that had eluded him for many years. A lot of chatter. Is he a top 10 player all time now? Maybe that's something we can talk about next week mm -hmm. because a lot of people have a lot of opinions. If you put him in the top 10, who are you taking out? It's one thing to say he's a top 10 player, but who would he replace? Maybe that is a good topic for next week. But until then, guys, check us out on social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. And until next week, happy Father's Day again to all you dads. The Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.